Welcome to another edition of the Flathead Beacon Podcast. I'm your host, Micah Drew, recording from the beautiful, sunny Flathead Valley. It's Friday, February 25th. For years, residents of the Flathead Valley have seen rising housing and rental prices as the area becomes more and more popular, a trend that was only exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic and work-from-home movement, which saw record growth in the area over the last two years. Pat Barkey, the director of the Bureau of Business and Economic Research at the University of Montana, has been involved with economic forecasting and policy research for more than 30 years and recently gave an economic outlook seminar in Kalispell that focused on the rippling effects of high housing costs. Pat joined me today to talk about trends seen in the Flathead Valley as well as around Montana and breaks down some of the data from the most recent studies. Before we get to that chat, though, a quick reminder that this podcast is sponsored in part by members of the Flathead Beacon Editors Club. Members support all of our journalism in all of its forms, in print, online, and here at the podcast studio, and they do for as little as $5 per month. Plus, they get some extra perks too. To find out more or join today, visit beaconeditorsclub.com. Patrick Barkey. I'm director of the Bureau of Business and Economic Research at the University of Montana. I'm an economist. Uh, our research center since 1948 has studied applied economic problems in the state of Montana. And we have a, uh, a pretty heavy outreach commitment uh, to communicate uh, the findings of our research around the state. So yeah, I know that you come and, and, and give reports across across the state every year. And recently we're in Kalispell detailing some of the things that we're going through here. And one of the biggest things that we're seeing is, is high housing costs here and across the state. And in, in lots of mountain towns, Missoula, Bozeman, Kalispell, Whitefish, this has been a, a discussion point for quite some time, but it's really skyrocketed with the pandemic and recently. Can you talk a little bit about trends that you saw in the years leading up to the pandemic and then how they got exacerbated to where we are now? Sure. Yeah, we just delivered a, uh, a program called Where Housing is Headed mm-hmm. a few weeks ago in your community. And it was not the first time we looked at housing. We actually looked at housing in 2019 with a study on, uh, with a program about housing affordability. And that really underscores the fact that what was happening to prices especially relative to incomes in Flathead Valley and across uh, most of Western Montana, predated the pandemic. Uh, houses, uh, house prices and rents, for that matter, have been rising faster than income and pushing more and more Montana households into more discomfort, trying to pay for their housing costs and have money left over for other things. The reason why we did it again in 2022 I suppose in a sense it's obvious, but I'll underscore it anyway because it's rather remarkable. And that is everyone was taken by surprise by the gigantic uptick in demand for housing that occurred right after the low point of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. It uh, occurred for a variety of reasons, but the net result was housing price growth had been growing anywhere from 6 to 8% a year, uh, nationally speaking, uh, peaked as high as 25% growth nationally speaking, in 2021, uh, fell a little bit since then. And of course, that's a national average. I mean, when you look at the hotter markets, and you're certainly sitting in one of them, 
uh, it's easy to find price growth higher than that. So uh, as I said in that program, uh, I believe the situation is a little bit like the Warren Buffett quote that goes something like this, if I can do it justice. It says, when the tide goes out, you find out who's been swimming naked. And that's relevant for this because what happened is that a lot of Montana communities, and you're one of them, mm-hmm. have been chronically underbuilding for uh, going on a decade and a half. And while this rise in house prices that occurred in 2021 is not likely to continue at that pace, and in fact, it was a surprise, it nonetheless represented that tide going out and really underscoring just how, you know, the consequences for that underbuilding uh, showing up in prices. And, and of course, that has lots of legs as you look at uh, how communities and businesses are, are, are growing and addressing the challenge. With that underbuilding that you referenced, do you have any data that, that speaks to what kind of lag period there is to, to, or what it will take to catch up to the, to the demand? You know, there's been some efforts to do that at the state level. You know, it is really, um, especially in an area like yours that is uh, so dominated by in-migration from outside the county, uh, which is uh, always hard to predict. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to know exactly uh, what kind of uh, uh, shortage there is, but the evidence of the shortage is is undeniable. I mean, someone uh, smarter than me once said, you can't run away from supply and demand. People get tired of hearing that, but it's, it's, it is fundamentally a supply problem. And um, so what's, what's the magnitude of that? Well, I mean, uh, you know, there was a recent study done by, I think it was Pew, that talked about for the state, 10% housing growth versus 7% growth in housing units. Well, I, I'm one that, you know, there's no such thing as a statewide real estate market, you know, so those numbers there's a lot of variability that can hide within those kind of aggregate numbers. I know population growth in Flathead has been just a wee bit north of 10%. And I'm sure your building has been higher than 7% as well. But um, it's it's not a problem that's easily solved in a year. Some political leaders at the local level, not in your community, but elsewhere in Montana have said that we can't build our way out of this. And, um, if what that individual meant was we can't build our way out of this in a year, I would agree. But building is is got to be part of the solution. Can you talk a little bit about some of the the ripple effects that that these high housing costs have on a community? I mean, we see them just in terms of people can't buy homes, but we also have issues with with seasonal workers, and we're a very tourist heavy community. So if seasonal workers can't find homes, and that starts to have this ripple effect. What, what are all of these issues and, and impacts that we, I know we're seeing, but, but what are they from an economic data standpoint? Well, some of them are more visible than others. Uh, obviously, with high housing price, it doesn't leave much money left over for other things. Mm-hmm. So other categories of consumption are squeezed, and that would include saving. Uh, I think when you have housing prices, high housing prices, you increase sprawl uh, because housing prices are typically highest, closest to amenities. So when people are priced out of the uh, high demand areas, they move to the periphery. Uh, that puts uh, a lot of pressure on uh, infrastructure, roads, and so forth. Uh, high housing prices affect labor markets. When low to medium pay jobs can't afford to locate in the community where those jobs exist, I mean, where those jobs physically are located, and that would include much of the visitor spending 
uh, tourist industry in, in your part of the world, uh, then those employers are, are it. And that's been really a remarkable thing about this particular run-up in housing prices coinciding as it does with a labor shortage. Uh, this is something that everyone sees. <laughs> so if you already own your home, you're happy with your home payment, you don't know what everybody's complaining about, and you go around the corner to go out to eat and the restaurant's closed. And 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 it's not all housing, but housing is part of it. Mm-hmm. A couple other things that are not as easily seen. One, I think, is that high housing uh, costs are an engine for economic inequality. And what I mean by that is that you have a generation of Montanans and, for that matter, Americans that can't get in the opening door of, of getting into building up home equity, which becomes such an important component of the household net worth of an average American household. So when you look at the, the wealth situation of a younger American today compared, and this I only have national data, to a, to a younger American in the 1980s, you find that the wealth of the youngest cohort is much lower because they're not they're not getting priced out of houses, and that's a transfer to the old, uh, because the older uh, Americans that got in on the game in the 80s and 90s are enjoying uh, their rising prosperity, their rising wealth because the value of their assets has gone up. So it's actually an engine of inequality. And the last thing I'll say, it's also something that kind of shuts the door on economic opportunity in the sense that housing prices are highest. Uh, paradoxically, in areas where the economy is growing the fastest, where employment opportunities and high-wage jobs are the most prevalent. And so the story of uh, the development of our economy over centuries has been one of movement towards opportunity. And when you have places of high opportunity, places that can pay even unskilled labor a higher wage, more employment security, all those gains are taken away by the fact that they have unaffordable housing. And so that actually impacts the whole growth of the economy because we're not really helping workers move to places where they can provide for their families uh, more comfortably than they can where they are now. One last thing I want to ask you about, as you've been doing these studies and going through data that's uh, come out since the pandemic started and and sifting through everything across the state, are there any other trends that have, have surprised you or things that maybe went a different way than you would have predicted with this kind of situation? You know, unfortunately, it's it's all rather predictable, but I think nonetheless, there's some things that need to be said. Yeah. First off, the reality of, of research at the state and local level is that data just don't come out that fast. Yeah. We live in an information world where we know what happened to stock market every 10 seconds, but try to find out how much building there is in an area, and you've got to wait a while, especially if you want the better quality data. Mm-hmm. But there's some things that people need to know, and that is that part of the uh, housing affordability challenge, if you want to call it that, will be solved by the market uh, mm-hmm. in a way that the the spigot will turn off on housing demand. And what I mean by that is that it's already happening. Uh, the investor appetite for, for for buying houses is starting to wane, although it's still quite high. But more importantly, the uh, mortgage rates are starting to edge up towards 4% today, and they're going to go up more in the future. And that's really discounted, but that's that's pretty important. I mean, coincident with this big run-up in demand, which really pushed prices up, was incredibly low conventional mortgage rates, uh, sometimes getting as low as 3% or even south of that for a few months. Uh, and that's that's a big factor uh, in, in helping uh, homeowners of all kinds 
uh, squeeze their way into even more expensive homes. So there are some thing, things going to happen that are going to, uh, I wouldn't say negate, but at least uh, uh, slow down uh, the forces that have been so powerful uh, that are in our view of mirror. It's, it's a natural tendency to assume that whatever we see out our window today is going to be there tomorrow. In the case of housing demand, I'm not so sure. And then just out of curiosity, and this might not be something you can answer, but when we talk about the areas of, of the highest growth are also seeing the biggest issues with things like affordable housing. When you look statewide, is there like a sweet spot or a certain city that's seeing enough growth that people would want to go there and, and businesses and the economy is doing well, but not so much that we're seeing these astronomically high, high costs of living? Well, I think that's, that's really most of Montana. I mean, you have to understand that, you know, it's natural for us to compare ourselves, you know, Missoula to Kalispell or to Bozeman or to Helen or whatever you want to throw in there. But when you look at a California, you look at a Seattle, uh, Montana is still a bargain. Hmm. Okay. I mean, so when you're, when you're talking about areas of low building, you're talking about, you know, the city of San Francisco, how many new, the city of Boston, how many homes are built there? It's, it's a pitifully small number. Yeah. And, and so, uh, so you get to Montana and, and, you know, arguably, depending on what your starting point is, the whole state of Montana is a sweet spot. And in fact, that's what's propelling demand in Montana, right? I mean, are these people who are cashing out their housing wealth in the higher priced areas that we can't conceive of? We can't conceive of living in a place with average houses of 1.4 million. Yeah. You know, and yet we're moving in that direction, you know, clearly, but I, I, I don't know that, uh, there, you know, with obviously with remote work and so forth, there is a lot more freedom to sort of disconnect where you live from from where you earn your living, so to speak. So I'm not sure sure that that uh, that is quite the uh, determining factor. In other words, uh, economic opportunity versus housing prices. But uh, so you know, it, it the one thing about housing is it's local. I mean, you can't come up with much that's more local than housing. There's so many things in our society that have gotten homogenized. You know, we we eat the same French fries. We drink the same Starbucks coffee, exactly the same. We even are starting to talk the same, you know, as you go to different parts of the country. But housing is totally unique. Uh, the prices are different. The taxes are different. The style even and availability are different. And uh, people don't realize that until you start researching it and, and you can see those differences. Well, Pat, thank you so much for, for taking the, the time to, to break down some of that research and, and share it with us. It's uh, really interesting and, and great to have you. Okay. Thanks for letting me on. So long. A big thanks to Pat for joining the podcast this week. You can read all about the reporting on the Flathead's housing crisis in this week's edition of the Flathead Beacon in our business monthly coverage provided by reporter Maggie Dresser. And now, here are the biggest stories from the last seven days as of 10 p.m. Thursday, February 24th. Every year during the second weekend in October, a slew of possibly crazy, likely shivering rudders trot off in the pre-dawn light from a starting line in Polebridge to take part in the Legris 50-mile ultramarathon. 
This fall, the race will commence its 41st running with a newly minted owner. Legris has been owned by Polebridge Mercantile and Bakery owner Will Hammerquist since 2015, when the course moved from the South Fork to the North Fork of the Flathead River, but he has recently donated it to the Glacier Institute in hopes of increasing support for both the race and the Institute, which operates educational programs as a partner with Glacier Park. In addition to the ultramarathon, this year the race will feature a 5k and a youth foot race. In Kalispell, the Flathead Warming Center is seeing increased demand every week and has been regularly turning away between 2 and 15 people each night, according to Executive Director Tanya Horn. The Warming Center opened at its permanent location on Meridian Road last December after serving the homeless population at two temporary locations for the last two years. In addition to providing 40 beds at the Warming Center, Horn collaborates with local services to provide people with resources which include navigating Medicaid and SNAP benefits, finding jobs, and working with therapists. The Warming Center has a small staff and relies heavily on volunteers, and if you'd like to join, volunteer orientations are held every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Up in Whitefish, the Whitefish Theater Company is getting ready for its upcoming production of The Revolutionists, a play written by Lauren Dunderson that takes place during the French Revolution's reign of terror in the 18th century. The show focuses on four dynamic women, a queen, a writer, an assassin, and a spy. There will be performances on February 25th and 26th, as well as March 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Tickets are $20 for adults and $10 for students. And finally, this weekend is the Big Sky Conference Indoor Track and Field Championships hosted by Montana State University in Bozeman. I have to give a shout out to this because as a former athlete for the Grizz, I competed in this conference championship uh, one time. That's all. I wasn't quite that fast. However, the Flathead Valley has produced many notable athletes in recent years who will be competing, including Flathead High School graduate Ben Perrin, who has twice this season set the Montana State University school record in the 5,000 meters, recording a time of 13 minutes and 39 seconds on February 12th. Perrin is the third of four talented running siblings, and he's only a few seconds off from his older brother Zach's best times in both the 5K, the 3K, and the mile, even though he's only a sophomore, so he'll probably take over the family record soon. Heron is the fourth seed in this weekend's 5,000-meter race, which will be this evening. Another notable local runner, Big Fork graduate Bryn Morley, will be competing in the mile on Saturday afternoon, where she's ranked second, followed by the 3,000 meters, where she's seeded seventh. Heron will also be doubling back in the 3K, where he has the sixth fastest time at eight minutes and one second. Whitefish graduate McKenna Ells, who is a freshman at the University of Montana, will also be competing this weekend on two different relay teams. You can tune in by going to msubobcats.com. There are links on their track and field page, or you can go for a drive and head down to Bozeman this weekend. That's all I've got for you today. As always, you can stay up to date on all the latest local news at flatheadbeacon.com. This episode was hosted, edited, mixed, and produced by me, Micah Drew. And again, a big thanks to our guest, Pat Barkey, for coming and breaking down some research for you guys. Music in this episode includes songs by local Flathead Valley artist Mike Murray, who's nice enough to let us use them. That's the show. We'll be back next week.